We All Have One, a podcast that isn't afraid to discuss the stories that we all have, even the really messy ones. From business ideas to overbearing in-laws to dreams of leaving your crappy job, come along for epic stories along tangible advice for succeeding and surviving through life's unfiltered moments. I'm your host, Corey McFadden, recovering business owner, industry pioneer, and mama blogger who has seen it all along the way. And let's just say, I am not afraid to share what I've learned from my experiences and mistakes, which means you don't have to. All you gotta do is listen, grab a coffee, or hell, a tequila is probably better. And let's get to this week's saga turned life lesson. Hello, episode six. We are doing it, you guys. Hopefully you are enjoying the podcast as much as I have enjoyed putting it together for you. Today is, oh boy, today is a really important topic, as are they all, but this one especially. And I got to relive some memories when I was putting this together for you that I will share with you later in this episode. And it's a story that you'll want to stick around for. It's a good one from my vault. But we are talking about landlords retail leases. You know, getting that dream shop, that space that you've always imagined when you close your eyes and you can see the bay windows and the beautiful signage and fresh florals sitting on the counter. And when people have asked you since you've been 10 years old what you want to do and you've responded, I want to own a store. Well, that's all great. But do you know what it takes to get to that space with bay windows and the relationship that you got to maintain with your landlord? Well, let me tell you, those flowers, they can wilt real quickly and things can go awry in ways that you could have never imagined trying to create that dream retail shop. And you're probably like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, landlords are special. And you have to make sure you know your shit before you ever commit to a space. Because as quickly as you sign that lease is as quickly as your business can go under just because of that lease. So I'm going to get into it. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to know, what you should look out for when negotiating, and when it goes wrong, what can happen. Because everything that I'm going to tell you to do today, I have made mistakes along the way. And especially when I was first starting out with my first ever retail space and how it landed me in court on trial without jury. Yes, dramatic. And it was over a fucking key. Yes, an actual key. So that is why it's important that you understand and you know every single line that is in that lease. So before we even get to signing a lease, we got to find a location, right? We're going to talk about what it means to find that location, the size that you need, things you need to consider, And let's just get into it because we only got 27 minutes left and I got a lot of information to share. So 
first things first. We've talked about along the way identifying your target market and what that client looks like. This is where it's really going to come into play because when you are looking for that perfect location, it needs to align with the target market because if it doesn't, well, how are you going to reach them if they're never going to come to your location or they can't find it? So first things first, in looking for a location, before you even get the lease to sign, you got to find that space. And you need to know what you're looking for. Because if you don't, you're going to have so much wasted time and essentially find you in a location that's not suitable for your business needs and your doors will close shortly after. Which is what we see happen time and time again with so many local businesses or first locations. Because a lot of times, you'll find yourself jumping into something because it looks perfect. And then three, six, nine months into it, it's not. And so you need to really, really do your research because committing to a retail location is a lot more than just paying the rent. Okay, here's what it's like. Let's say you married someone and you thought he didn't have any children, only to find out that he has 37 children that he's supporting every single month. And you're like, uh, excuse me, wh- wh- where the fuck did all these kids come from? You never mentioned these. That's the same thing with the retail location. That's about what comes along with it a lot. So you need to make sure that it's perfect in all respects that you can control. And then you negotiate it to be even better. Because if you just jump in, you're going to find yourself in like a 90-day fiance, which if you haven't been watching this season, do yourself a favor as well and jump on that bandwagon to give yourself a little entrepreneurial mental relief. It's just so good. But if you know you sit back and you're like, how did you get in that situation? This is how you get in it, is when you don't do your research. So just as you would Google someone and most likely background check whoever you're starting to date, um, you're going to do the same thing and the same amount of crazy research when you're looking into these locations. So you want to access census data. Um, This is free online, and you can get broken down census data pertinent to location. So you can figure out Does that fall in line with your target market? The real estate agent that you're working with should be able to provide you demographic information pertaining to the area as well. So just because something looks perfect doesn't mean it's not. So when you're looking into location being neighborhood, you know, once you find your neighborhood, certain areas within, you want to make sure that you're doing your research. Also, You know, look to the big box stores, such as like a Walgreens. They do insane amount of research before they commit to a location. So those are good signs too when those larger big box stores like that are going in because it shows that there's growth or they foresee growth in the near future. Look to those as good signs. Be aware. Next up is size. You want to make sure that 
it's going to be large enough for your operational, your storage needs. Create a rough layout of what you like the store to operate as. Of course, it's not going to be exact because you don't know the floor plan of where you're going to be operating out of, but you have an idea of like, I need a front counter. I need, you know, 300 square feet of retail space. I need whatever it is. So when you're looking, you can make sure that everything you need can fit in that location, as well as that the location is not too large. Because you don't want to take on, let's say, an extra 1,500 square feet a month that you have no use for, no need for, but you're paying for. That wouldn't make sense, thus wasted cash flow and money every month. So you want to make sure that you're moving into a space that is suitable for your needs as well as can allow you to grow for, let's say, the next 24 months. Because what you also don't want to do is commit to a space and then you need more space in three months that you should have been able to foresee in the short term. Of course, if you just hit it, you're rocking that forward momentum, you're growing, you could have never seen this coming, awesome. Then you'll find what you need in that moment. But don't jump in before you have it because that's where it's just gonna kill you because you're spending for business that you're not bringing in. So once you have an idea of the size that you need, the location that's gonna be suitable for you, then start looking for space because you're looking for something that makes sense. You're not just looking at what is pretty because that's not what it's about. So don't waste your time, figure out what you need, and then get a real estate agent to help you look for that commercial space. Something else to really consider here before committing to a space is a pop-up or a short-term lease in order to test the market. So once you have an idea of where you want to go, this is a really great way that you can figure out if it's actually going to work. Now, this is not always an option, and you're not always going to be able to find a landlord or a space that is willing to do this. But when you do, it's so great. And a lot of times where this will work is um, they've got a development planned and the building's going to come down in 10 months. But maybe they'll let you pop up in there for three months. The landlord makes some extra money you can test the market, and it's a win-win relationship. That's the only time you're going to be able to get that time of space is when it is a win-win, because why else would they accommodate your needs? So look for spaces that might be coming down, essentially have been vacant for a long period of time. Maybe they'll let you pop in there for a couple months and try it. Shopping malls, I say that lightly because if, if you have a thriving shopping mall, they probably don't have space. But if you have one that's not, I can't say that that might be the best way to test your market. But hey, you never know. We're looking in unconventional places. And it's crazy that a shopping mall has become that over time. As well as collaborating with other stores. So it could be considered a pop-in. So maybe there is a retail store in town that your product would fit beautifully in and you have a pop-in within their store. Um, I have a dear friend who does that. Her name is Rachel in Chicago. Her jewelry is my favorite. So if you follow me on social, I'm usually wearing her. And she pops up in Marcus, which is another retail store. So she'll do trunk shows 
and has kind of a rotating calendar with them. So it works great for them because Marcus gets the sale and it brings the traffic and she gets to operate within an established retail location without having to carry that overhead. So it's a win-win. So you can look for those types of ways to really test also before committing. If you're wondering like, how much does that cost? Like, it's also important to know that if you're doing a pop-up, so you're going to be showing your brand off, let's say for three months in a space, it's not cheap, but it is cheaper than opening a store and getting stuck in a lease and spending all the startup costs and going out of business shortly after. Um, I was reading in Popperty, it's um, a retail analytics firm, and they estimated that the total cost of a 30-day pop-up is approximately $33,000. Now, that is, of course, an approximate, but you have to know that you have to, let's say, build out that space, you have to get insurance, you have to staff it. There is a lot of costs associated, but when you do it within a short period of time, you can also capture a lot of sales, create a lot of awareness, create buzz. I did a variety of these when I was operating, and one that was very successful was my dear friend Christian Seriano did a pop-up in Chicago. It was about two weeks. And when he did that, I was also celebrating my 10-year anniversary of E-Drop-Off. So I had my 10-year anniversary party in his pop-up store. It was the first day that he opened. We created that buzz. And then I moved my party out and he stayed there. And the store was there for a couple of weeks. And it was a really beautiful partnership and a way of also sharing the cost. And so get creative with your network. See where you can create crossover that's beneficial. And this is also a really good way of getting your store out there. So let's say you're like, okay, I'm going to go the pop-up way. Or you found the perfect retail space. You're going to have to deal with a landlord. And you're going to have to hire an attorney because a lease is going to be involved. And you never, ever want to take this next step alone. You're going to need an attorney 100% of the time. Got it? Take that mental note. You never want to let someone pressure you into signing a lease. So let's say you found the perfect location and it's just like glistening and calling your name and you've got this pushy agent who is pushing a lease on you and just, you know, sign it. You sign it. You are fucked. Like, I'm just letting you know right there. You are in trouble because what is in a commercial lease is a lot more than, let's say, the studio apartment that you sign a lease for that's simple. You got to get yourself some renter's insurance and you golden. Like, oh no, commercial lease is no joke. And a lot of the language, meaning 99.8% of it, you're going to have no idea what it means. And usually it means something that you're responsible and liable for. And so you want to make sure that you get an attorney that you can trust. Ask fellow business owners if they have an attorney that they used um, for their retail lease. Figure it out find someone, and then listen to their advice. Um, I'm not saying, you know, attorneys are providing advice. Usually it's solid sound advice, unless you get a shitty attorney, which that's always possible in that world. 
I made a huge mistake with my first retail space, which was in 2005, a long time ago. My attorney was like, do not sign this lease. Like, this is red flags left and right. Like, you are going to have so many problems. And at the time, the individual that I was working with, um, which was the financial backing, as well as the lease guarantee, was adamant on the space that we had found. And it was a really great space. And he was like, no, we'll do it. And we proceeded. And it was a huge mistake because I essentially had a disgusting landlord who was a third generation property owner. His father's father had originally acquired all this property. They didn't live local. They lived in LA. And he was disgusting. Besides his chauvinistic, inappropriate comments that would be made, he was crooked and a bad property owner and, you know, responsible for 80% of the vacant property in a prime location because no one would lease from him. I messed up there. So when you get an attorney that's like, this is not good, listen to them. From someone that didn't listen and then it resulted in a stressful lawsuit, just listen and you can exit then rather than spend buku amount of money trying to negotiate the lease and get it to a place that's even signable, which is what we did. So in a recent article in Forbes, Clint Garb was breaking down um, different structures of leases. And I'm just going to read these word for word because I am no lease expert here by any means. There are different types of leases that exist, which is important to know before we even get into what is in the actual lease. The first one is a single net lease. And what this is, is it means that the tenant only pays utilities and property tax. The landlord will pay the maintenance, repairs, and insurance on the space. I've never been in that type of lease. It sounds really nice. Um, But I think it's important that you know there that property tax. Did you hear that? Tenant pays property tax. And you're going to hear that over and over in all these types of leases because you most likely will be paying the property tax on the space that you're leasing. So it's not just what the rent is. There's a lot of other costs associated. And, you know, for me, I was operating in Chicago, Cook County, Crook County. They just gouge you left and right, stick the knife in, twist it, and just let you bleed out. And then when you call 911, they roll you to 311 you know, so they can classify it as a non-emergency. And then when they show up, they like step over you. Um, It's kind of that operating structure. Very frustrating to say the least, but property taxes were crazy and they didn't used to be that crazy. So when I first signed my lease, um, I had a five-year lease with like four net five-year terms. My first five years was golden and then property taxes like went up in an unforeseeable way which those are expenses that are called, well, unforeseeables. So you have to know going in that there's all these things looming that might not ever come your way, but it's also possible that they will come and knock your shit down. So it's always important to be prepared. Next up is a double net lease, and these are very popular in the retail world. And this is where the tenant is responsible for only utilities, property taxes, and insurance premiums for the building, and the landlord pays for maintenance and repairs. So, you know, maybe the HVAC system, it's maintained and maintenance by the landlord and not your responsibility, but you are still responsible for property taxes and insurance premiums, which we touched on insurance in a 
previous episode. If you haven't listened, please go back and listen. It's so important. But these are major expenses, very, very expensive on top of your rent. Then you're moving into a triple net lease. And these are also very popular. I've been in one of these before. Um, And it is where the tenant is responsible for all costs of the building, except the landlord is generally responsible for structural repairs. So this is where you are responsible for everything. So your HVAC system goes down. You're responsible for it. You have um, a rat infestation that comes from them widening the street and they took away um, the curbs and now they're eating into your walls. You're responsible. Did that sound like from personal experience? (laughs) Yeah, these are things that happen, you guys. Disgusting. No one's ever going to tell you like, I have a fucking rat infestation. Like rats are falling from my ceiling. Like no one's telling you that. But these are things that business owners deal with. Not because they're dirty. It's because these are just things that happen in cities and urban areas or anywhere, quite frankly. Um, So yeah. And no, my Chanel was never infested with rats. And this was in a very early phase of my business. And it was in our back room, which we moved out of. Also in a triple net lease, usually it's a trio of taxes. It's taxes, insurance, and common area. So basically what'll happen is there'll be um, an estimated trio that's added onto your rent every month that covers the estimated taxes, insurance, and common area. But then at the end of the year, when all that's reconciled, and let's say um, it was a heavy snowfall and the parking lot had to be cleaned triple the amount that they thought it was going to be, and the insurance premium went up um, in Q3 as well as taxes, and so actually you owe us an extra $7,300 in addition to what you paid all year. That is a triple net, and that is very, very common in retail space, and it's important to know that. And it's also important that if you get in that type of lease to hold your landlord responsible. So I used to get these like absurd bills from my first landlord that were just like bullshit and no one was ever even like ever plowing snow. So we would start requesting the snow removal bills, which were then like falsified and made up. And, you know, those are things that you deal with when you kind of deal with a slumlord and not everything is worth fighting is also important to know because you have to maintain this relationship with the property owner for the time that you are legally in that lease. So if you go in guns ablazing, your time is going to be spent in a hot hell. So a lot of stuff that you know is just bullshit and it's not fair, you have to deal with. And yes, maybe you live in a city that has strong tenant rights and they're enforced. Great. But in a lot of areas, they just aren't. So while it's important that you listen to your attorney from the get-go, when you find yourself in these situations, just know you you gotta swallow some of it. And I know that's bullshit, but that's just the way it goes. That's why if you can try to not get yourself into that type of relationship from the beginning, you can try to minimize some of this. But some of it, you just never know. So you're going to figure out what type of lease you're going into. And maybe let's say you're like, you know what? A triple net lease is never going to work for me. I will not go into a triple net lease. If you're presented with a triple net lease, then kill the deal there. Don't try to negotiate it if it's just not going to work for your business structure. So that's a really good way from the get-go of negotiation with the type of lease that you're presented in to know if that is possibly going to work and is even worth negotiating. So 
There are some essentials that should be included and outlined within the lease. Basically, you've got your basic rental rate, and this is the calculated square footage rate, and you are charged this per the square footage, or it could be a percentage of your gross sales. I personally never recommend going into a percentage of your gross sales unless maybe you're doing a pop-up store and that works. But doing a long-term lease based on a percentage of your gross sales is just like scary as shit to me. So I personally would never do that. I would pay um, a calculated square footage rate. Next is going to be your assignment of maintenance responsibility. And what this is, is it's so important and it's so boring and you probably have no idea what this means, but your attorney will. And this is going to be who is responsible for maintaining all the equipment and servicing it including your electrical and your plumbing, your heating, your HVAC, your structural components. These are things that have nothing to essentially do with your day-to-day business until that heat goes out and it's 60 degrees and it's freezing in your space and it's dropping to 45 by noon and you got to let your staff go and then you got to close for the day. And then you realize in your lease that you were responsible for servicing that unit which you haven't done because you haven't even changed the filters since you moved in three years ago. So then when the AC guy comes out and he pulls it out and your unit is essentially fried and now you have a $50,000 expense that you're responsible for, oh, it'll matter then. And that's not from personal experience. Thank goodness I was always very, very on top of what I was responsible for. I had an understanding of that with every space that I ever occupied throughout my retail career. What is my responsibility in this space? And then get it on a calendar. So if you're supposed to be changing the filters every 30 days, every 30 days in the calendar of your office manager or whoever's responsibility that is, they make sure that that guy is out there changing those filters for you. Those things are operational essentials that you cannot oversee. So Know with maintenance responsibility what you're responsible for. Make sure you service it responsibly and you keep all the documentation. Because if something does happen, you want to make sure that you are abiding all those terms within your lease as well as you have proof that you have done so. Then you're going into water and sewer. Um, Who is responsible for gas, electricity, trash removal? All of these things are outlined Uh, finish out allowance. This is so, so important. So usually when you're entering a lease that is three years or more, you're going to negotiate with your landlord a finish out allowance. Typically it falls within $10 to $30 a square foot, um, which will allow you for basic walls, ceiling, lighting, electrical, plumbing, heating, all those things that you need to do to build out your space. It's not going to cover all of it by any means. It normally never covers like your finishes, your carpet, your tile, custom work, things like that. But all those kind of basics that you need, um, negotiating that finish out allowance. So you're not paying all that out of pocket. Your landlord is paying that and bringing you in and enticing you with that long-term lease. Then are you prepaying any sort of rent? Typically, this will fall in the one to three months, depending on who is your guarantor on your lease, your creditor. Sometimes you never have to, sometimes you do. And your security deposit, usually this falls within zero to two months, depending on the lease terms. Um, there could be, you know, something you negotiate is no security deposit. It just depends. 
but those are essentials that should be included and outlined. And then you're going to go in and you're going to negotiate. Your attorney is going to negotiate, not you. But things that you usually ask for and go after are, you know, a lower basic rent, um, not giving a percentage of your sales, let's say, a larger finish out allowance than they are offering for improvements. Maybe they aren't offering one at all and you ask for that. Granted lease rates, limits on the triple net charges. You can ask for caps there so it never exceeds 10% in addition to the triple net charge. You can ask for caps. Those are a really good thing to negotiate so something doesn't just bite you so hard. Um, Maybe some inclusion of your utilities, escape clauses that allow you to get out of the lease in certain circumstances, some sort of unforeseeable We had a nine-month displacement clause in ours. So if anything ever happened that displaced us for longer than nine months, then we would be allowed to um, exit the lease, which essentially is what happened with the magnitude of my flood. It took us down to the studs of my building, and we were displaced um, and allowed me to exit that lease. So having those so you're not stuck when the unforeseeable strikes some sort of free rent, a lower prepaid rent or security deposit if they're asking for one. But you never just want to agree to the terms. You want to negotiate. This is your time to polish it out so it is a beneficial relationship to both parties as well as maybe favors you in some ways. And then, of course, you always want to look for those red flags. And those are going to be conflicting terms that are within the lease. Maybe it says, um, you know, all fixtures attached to the ceilings, floors, and walls become property of the landlord, which is very common and important to know if you're like in the food industry. You don't want to be leaving all your equipment behind. So you want to make sure you negotiate there. But let's say it says that in paragraph two, and then you go down to paragraph four, and it's saying that you must remove everything. Well, which one is it? A lot of times slumlords will set traps within their lease and they'll have conflicting terms all throughout where you're like, what the fuck do you want me to do? Like pat my head or my stomach? Like which one is it, buddy? That is a huge red flag. Crazy termination clauses. The landlord should never unreasonably deny a sublet tenant that makes sense. If they're just denying it all the way across the board, meaning that you've been in business for three years and you want to sublet your space for the remaining two years, let's say you've grown and this smaller space no longer suits you, but it suits someone else that wants to move in. Your landlord's like, nope, got to keep it. Like, that's bullshit. Like, that's not cool. Anytime it is unreasonable means that the whole lease is probably unreasonable. So you never want crazy termination clauses. And then usually landlords don't own just one spot. They own multiple. So use that to your advantage. Go talk to other tenants. Get a feel for that landlord or the property manager. Because let me tell you that if there's a bad landlord that owns the property on that street, the tenants are going to unload. They will throw red flags at you. They will tell you everything to try to save your ass. That's what I used to do. That's what we all used to do up and down the street where I was operating because I watched lawsuit after lawsuit occur and I knew I was going to be next in line. It was just our landlord's way of operating when you went to exit your lease. 
And so we used to always tell people when they would come in and look at the spaces, because the space that existed up and down the street was beautiful, and it was in a high-traffic foot area in a high-desirable neighborhood, and it didn't make sense. And people come in, and they'd be like, why is that space empty? And you'd be like, oh, you do not want that space. Here's a reason why. And you'd like scroll like it out, and it would just like roll for two miles, and you would just start reading it, you know? You will get that feedback. It's there. So go and ask people. There's no harm in asking, hey, I'm looking at that space over there. It has the same landlord. How is, you don't even have to say how. By the time you say how, they'll already tell you. And then last, before I leave you with a little story, is uh, do a legal lawsuit search. Do it online. If that landlord has been in multiple lawsuits and you see that they are frivolous, take note. Now, sometimes when people own an abundance of property, lawsuits happen all the time. So don't take a lawsuit as a red flag. That's just part of operating. Take the ones that are for stupid bullshit as red flags, such as my story. So with that said, let me just go ahead and get into it. So the first retail space I ever operated in, we were really adamant on getting that space. The attorney told us not to do it. It was a weird working relationship during my five years there. The landlord was a slumlord. He was a jerk, unforgiving over anything and everything, made comments that were just distasteful, would pop in, unexpected, and just operated in a way that gave you the heebie-jeebies all the time. So I would always try to keep my interaction at a complete minimum. There was no reason to talk to him. If I needed to, I'd contact the property manager, and that was it. And that's usually the way it goes, is that you will communicate with a property manager, never usually the landlord directly, unless they don't have many spots or they're in the neighborhood. Usually, you're not face-to-face with this person often, but he had a way of showing his face anytime that he was in town, and he got into lawsuits with everyone. Um, Anytime that a lease was up, it would result in a lawsuit, and I watched him fight people left and right over the stupidest things. He would make up receipts, you know, for fake snow removal and common area expenses that never existed. He didn't maintain his spaces at all. He was just a terrible property owner and an entitled son of a bitch, you know, if I'm just completely honest about it. And so the time came when I was done. I was moving into a new location. I was moving from 700 square feet to 3,000 square feet. I rebranded my company. My new location was a luxury showroom. It was everything I had worked for and dumped all of my money into, and I couldn't be more excited, and I was so proud of it. But he was jealous, and he wasn't happy for any growth, and he'd try to keep me in the lease and just say things that were like, what? Well, My new space was done and I moved out of my existing space 90 days before the lease was up. But I, of course, paid my rent and all due charges, but I didn't operate out of that space until the end. I cleaned it down and I couldn't have been more excited to leave. The last day of the lease, I had not heard from property management. I had made a mistake. I had sent the key back. And I'd sent the key back in the same way that I had sent my rent in every month. I did not send it back with tracking, which I should have done. But my retail key to the space, I didn't think much of it. I had been there for five years. They had a set of keys to the space. Maintenance service the space when needed. 
They had full access to it. And it was a key. It wasn't 19 fucking 50. It wasn't a barbershop where you had to hand it over because that was their only way to get in. It was a key. I had not heard from the property manager because she was out of town. And I didn't think anything of it. They knew I was out of the space. We had already done a walkthrough of it prior. It was done. The relationship was over. Everything was paid. Well, not to my landlord because he was going to file a lawsuit for something. And sure enough, the first week after my lease was up, I get a certified letter to my new retail location. Certified letters usually never good, ever, rarely. And it was a lawsuit from my landlord holding me as a lease tenant holdover because the key was not returned. Well, the key was returned, but we still to this day don't know where that fucking key is. Doesn't even matter. But um, he was suing me as a lease tenant holdover for not returning the key. Well, they had the key. They had access to the space. The space was empty. I was not operating. And I immediately call him, to which probably was a mistake, but he was not open to discussing it. And they wanted 200% of the rate that I was paying because they thought she has money. She's growing. Look at her. We're going to get anything we can get out of her. So I get a really good attorney to make this go away because it was absurd. My attorney was like rolling his eyes. He's like, this is ridiculous. Really good attorney, by the way. Rich Ungaretti. Um, Ungaretti and Harris in Chicago. Like just an attorney with the true heart. Um, I love Rich forever. But we thought it was ridiculous. Served letter back. Nope. He wouldn't drop the suit. So it went to court. Essentially went to a jury without trial for this, meaning I had to go to court, sit on the bench, testify. My landlord had to testify, which was the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. He was also so disrespectful in court, sitting on his phone. Um, His attorney didn't even take off his snow boots with his suit. Just disgusting. It went to a full-blown lawsuit. It took up almost eight months of my life. It was a nine-inch binder filled with hundreds of pieces of paper around a key, which it wasn't essentially the key. It was anything he could try to get me on, which other things ended up being brought up in court. Like um, we left our counters top installed in the retail space because it said all fixtures had to be left. But then an additional paragraph said that they need to be removed. And the judge was reprimanding him in court. It was one of the best judges I've ever seen. But reprimanding him over his poor lease because it was apparent what he was doing. And that's not okay. And so I ended up winning my lawsuit. And the judge was so wonderful in his final write-up, making it impossible for him to appeal the judgment. The judge wanted it closed. He knew it was bullshit. He saw him putting me through a ringer. I won't even give you all the court details because we are 10 minutes over our episode, but um, it's one that it's nauseating. And I ended up getting back my deposit, which he was trying to hold from me, but I still had to pay my legal fees, you guys. No one pays your legal fees. And even if it's a frivolous lawsuit, depending on what state you're in, you're most likely liable for those legal fees. So it cost me $36,000 to fight that lawsuit at a discounted legal rate because my attorneys felt bad for me because we never in a million years foresaw it going to that point, but that's the system. You just never know. And so that again is an unexpected expense that you should be 
always ready for, not saying a lawsuit, but these large things that drop into your lap. And I have um, one of our listeners who's probably listening to this episode right now. She had a very similar experience with the same landlord. Um, She owned a shop on the same street as me, but his behavior, of course, has never changed, never will. Tiger doesn't change his stripes, now does he? So go talk to other business owners. Because if you were to run into a retail space that this landlord owns and you ask the surrounding neighbors, they will give you the advice you need to not land yourself in the same position. So be open to listening, even if you don't like what people have to say because it seems so great, the location you have found. Be aware of the red flags. Don't light yourself on fire. There's no reason to. Come on now. Learn from me who has lit herself on fire. So with that said, I am here. If you ever need any advice, please reach out to me. You can find me on social at Corey McFadden. Also find my blog post that corresponds with this episode and every other episode and easily listen to my podcast with everything all in one convenient place at glitterandbubbles.com. And thank you so much to Dante32 for making me sound great. Until next time. I know you hate to see me coming, but love to see me leave. Check me out, check me out, check me out. Go ahead and check me out, check me out.